0: Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. It's your host, Matt Rourke. Why are you talking
1: like that, Matt?
0: No, do It's the end of the year, man. This is one of our last reviews of the year. Uh, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he's tomato-meter-approved, Eric Marchand. How are you doing, bud? I'm
1: good. I'm good. I, I'm just curious who you were... Uh, I, know. I, you know what I, should,
0: I should start doing these intros in just zany voices, you know? Because... I need to put some sort of entertainment in this thing because we're talking about a movie void of anything. (laughs) Today we are reviewing George Clooney's The Midnight Sky, uh, starring George Clooney, Felicity Jones, David Oyelowo, Tiffany Boone, Damian Bashir, The Chan Man, uh, Kyle Chandler, uh, Sophie Rundle, uh, many more uh, being released, actually available right now. On the Netflix, <laughs> the Netflix, <laughs> the Netflix. Eric, what's up, buddy? You know what, Matt? I, I'm I'm
1: glad you asked because you know we just did a review uh, of News of the World, which you can listen to right now on the Untitled Movie Reviews, and they uh, both this and that film share some similarities in terms of you know a journey between. Uh, two characters, one of which is an aging, uh, you know, uh, scientist, uh, and a child who barely speaks or is completely mute. Um, so yeah, so this adaptation is George Clooney's post-apocalyptic environmental thriller, where he plays a terminally ill scientist named Augustine who spent the majority of his life on his work so much so that it interfered with any chance of him having – a personal life, which we see in rather awkward flashbacks of a young George Clooney. Oh my George God, I Clooney,
0: forgot. I like erased this movie from who, my
1: head. They dub Clooney's voice over the actor playing the younger version of George Clooney. I believe the actor's name Ethan is Ethan Peck. Peck. Um, and it almost sounds like Matt made the joke that he was just doing a George Clooney impersonation, um, but it's them basically also trying to you know counter the de-aging process because i guess they feel like oh well we didn't really need to spend all that money de-aging george clooney one because we know what he looks like so well and it's cost effective and it's also distracting but it's still distracting even with the dubbed clooney uh in those scenes but you get a sense that you know augustine is all about his work and you know the environment and sort of um you know exploring um you know different avenues in terms of the the science world and so you know cutting back to uh the the current day setting um Augustine is sort of held up in the antarctic isolated all alone his colleagues have left because everybody is now um you know going underground because the environment the world itself you know has become so bad the breathing the oxygen um, has kind of you know failed, and he gets uh, wind that uh, a spaceship um, on a mission to find a new planet to inhabit uh, the ether is coming back, and so he's trying to warn them that it's not a good idea to come back to Earth. That right now the world is completely in peril, but in order to do that, he has to go to a uh, another uh, satellite link up that's further away. Um and little does he know at first he's not alone, Matt. He's with a child. Yeah, and that is, is the there. story of the Midnight Sky. Now I didn't mention that uh, the astronauts in question, as as you you know, randomly kind of you know, sort of laid off the cast is that you have Kyle Chandler, Felicity Jones, David O'Yellow, Damian Bashir, all of which are defined by holograms and nothing more in terms of like, you know, their backstory. So they characters have these holographic yeah. sort of setups that kind of give you a little bit of backstory to who they are as people, but that's it. They These these characters could have been played by anyone.
0: Yeah, they don't give you much. And the movie doesn't really give you much. And like, I love Clooney, um, the actor. Don't know if I love Clooney, the director, but- Um, yeah, the movie's just void of any personality or substance or like, it's nice to look at at times. And, uh, uh, I I think my, you know, um, praise ends there for the most part, like it's just void of, of, of mostly anything. And I'm usually all here for, you know, post-apocalyptic world ending need to try to figure out, you know, how to save humanity kind of thing. Um, But the way that this plays out is just, there's long stretches where you don't see either side. Like the movie keeps cross cutting between these people on the ship and Clooney back on earth on his, you know, journey to get to this other radio station. And um, there'll just be like 30, 30 minutes, 30 plus minutes where I, at least it felt that way where you like don't see Clooney, or you don't see the other side of things. And like you said, there's not much really happen happening in terms of character with the people on the ship like it's just there's one sequence like you mentioned where they kind of do this thing you know the classic movie thing where they kind of do the the long take where they're showing you the different rooms in the ship and everyone's doing their thing so the chan man's talking to his family at breakfast and you notice he's married yada 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 you notice two characters might have some sort of relationship and and things like that and Um, but then there are weird character moments with like, you know, Damian Bashir's character and Kyle Chandler's character. Is it? Yeah. Chandler's character where you're like, I don't even know that they're friends. Like, I don't, I don't get that from this. And like, there's weird moments where, you know, sweet Caroline plays for like five and a half minutes and like, um, and they're all singing together. And like, then the movie tries to be emotional at times, but I'm like, I don't know or care about these characters like you're trying to have these big emotional moments in the movie and i feel like all of it falls flat both on the ship's side and both from Clooney's side of things so like yes it's sad he has this terminal um cancer disease and and, but there are moments where he finds other characters along his journey and like the movie is very like it's trying so hard and oh my god we need to talk about the score Alexander
1: alexander's score score is is making you care
0: (laughs) oh my god or it's trying its hardest like i we kept turning to each other and i'm like holy shit like this score is working hard like there's some scenes in this movie where i it's like the most in your face kind of prestige movie score that you've ever heard in your life where it's like here are the emotions you're supposed to feel during this scene and i think the best scores are the ones that you know if you listen to them on their own they're fantastic but in the movie you should Really, you know, there are times where I feel like a score can be intertwined with a scene where, you know, each. Each one is as important as the other, and it is very noticeable. But it shouldn't be distractingly noticeable. Like the best scores are ones that just add to the atmosphere or add to the emotion of the movie, but you're not really paying attention to the score. Um, There are times, you know, with very distinct sounds and 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 composers, where you're like, "Oh, this this sounds amazing." But with this flat score here, it's like there are so many times where I just looked at you and I'm like, "What the fuck is happening right now?" And like, it's just just so in your face. And so uh, whether it's trying to invoke a sense of wonder or, or a dramatic beat or something like that, I'm like, holy shit, this is working so hard. And like Clooney in general throughout the whole movie is like, he wants it to be taken seriously so badly throughout this whole thing. And it wants to be this like emotional drama. And I just feel like every emotional beat falls flat. Um, and it just doesn't work at all. And it ends up being this kind of boring, you know, tepid, like just th- flat thing that happens where you just don't really care about anything involved. And then there's like a ridiculous twist that you're just like, this is just Obscene, and then I just it, and it makes you hate the movie even more.
1: <laughs> yeah, and 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 I agree with you with the like the score especially. Like I I I like big orchestral scores. So I mean, like I. when it comes to like you know the Hollywood you know I mean? guys like John to. Williams and and Hans Zimmer, and it feels like Desplat's kind of trying to sort of mimic that a little bit with 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 this, but it is literally doing all the legwork when it comes to like trying to not only manipulate you but make you care like I feel like almost like in post-production Clooney took this movie over to me like can you can you can you salvage this because this is already so flat as it is you know like can we emphasize you know the 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 importance of this scene or that scene and, and- I want
0: you to turn everything to 17. <laughs> yeah yeah it
1: is just so bombastic so over the top so it, it's just it's it's the most it is the most score you've heard in 2022. And it is so distracting at times to the point where – Like, you can still hear everybody. It's not like a Christopher Nolan score where, like, you know, the, the voices are drowned out or anything like that. But it's just – it's so manipulative. It takes
0: you out of scene to scene. It takes you out of it because you're focused on the music. Yeah,
1: And you – yeah, you're just literally – you're supposed to be immersed in kind of almost like this survival thriller at times because Mark L Smith who adapted the screenplay also uh adapted The Revenant and there are times in the film where it feels a little bit like that where like you know they're out in you know the this you know harsh environment trying to survive uh and you know get to this satellite uh comm link and you know like there's the horrors that come along the way and i and again, like you man, like I really enjoy the kind of like you know survivor survival thrillers and also kind of like the post apocalyptic movies where it's like a couple of people left on earth, like you think of you know i am legend and and things like that and and those movies are are inventive and fun and can bring a lot of emotion um or last man on earth or omega man like those like all those movies are are uh, you know a good time, but this kind of just doesn't really ever have a pulse like yeah it's it's well made for what it is it's competently put together but Clooney's a guy and we were talking about this as well after the film like you know as an actor it's always interesting to see who he's working with and like when he's you know working with a Steven Soderbergh or you know a Tony Gilroy or you know even Alexander Payne You're going to get really great performances out of him. And he is a great, you know, matinee idol for the time. But, you know, like even now, he still has this kind of like aged charisma, although he looks a little bit like Lee Marvin, especially with the eyebrows here. Um, but as a director, I mean, Good Night and Good Luck and the Ides of March, I think are fine because they're, Political sort of films dealing with, you know, the Red Scare for Good Night and Good Luck, specifically in Edward R. Morrow and journalism. So the dryness of that movie or his style of filmmaking, I think, uh, complements what the story is. And Ides of March is a fairly simplistic, um, you know, politics can corrupt anybody, even the most, you know, idealistic kind of mind. Um, And those movies are fine. But you look at his career, uh, with the exception of those, like, you know something like leatherheads which is like this him doing a Coen Brothers movie kind of screwball comedy in the world of of football is... I mean, Suburbicon, is also trying to do Coen Brothers. (laughs) Yeah, well, literally, he's trying to do Coen Brothers. And then, like, with Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, like, I would say that it's not a great movie, but, I mean, like, that Kaufman script could have been something with a different filmmaker where, like, the experimental nature of the story just didn't gel with him. But Clooney is just this very dry, almost mundane style of filmmaker where, like, everything that he directs for the most part is just it's like sandpaper like you just kind of it looks great but then when you touch it or when you watch it it just it rubs you the wrong way to the point where it's just like you're bored by it and it feels not necessarily like a vanity project but it just kind of feels like a typical kind of middle of the road story and execution there's nothing there that's like like, oh george clooney has something even ben affleck you know like Live by Night aside, I mean, like, he's got a style, you know, and like, he he uses Boston in an interesting way, where Clooney, there's nothing I would say that's really interesting about any of the films that he's made.
0: Directorial style, yeah. Yeah. And even this feels like it's ripping off a hundred different stories or movies or or it's, again, and I think that's fine. I I said I like dystopian, post-apocalyptic kind of stories, and a lot of them are, you know, the same concept of humanity is dying off. We need to figure out how to survive kind of thing. And and it's nothing original, but there are original ways you can showcase that story. And I just don't feel like that's in here at all. And like, it's falling into all of the, you know, tropes you would expect. And I mean, we talked about the comparison to news of the world, which we just kind of um, uh, reviewed as well, which you guys can talk about almost a very similar, kind of movie sort of, Um, but one movie doing that um, in a much better way with news of the world. And like, i i we didn't we touched on it but dude the the flashbacks with young augustine are egregious and like we talked about this and like i know you're you fall in the category there's a there's also a tv show recently that you know used a cgi uh character once again and it is from a franchise that has done that in the past um i almost i like i don't know what i prefer at this point because like Ethan Peck and and with Clooney's voice in this, I think is almost more distracting than if they would have CGI George Clooney. Because then at least it's George Clooney. So there's not that disconnect in my brain, even though his lips will look weird or his face will look weird. Like at least I go, okay, that's George Clooney. In my mind, I'm like, he doesn't look super great. He looks weird. He looks like this weird, you know, freakishly CGI George Clooney. But like at least his voice matches the face. Where in this, I'm like, Like he looked like a puppet. Like I'm just like, or, or what did I say it was? But like a a guy doing a George Clooney impersonation, even though I would have preferred that if Ethan Peck could have done kind of George Clooney's voice, I would have preferred that than just George Clooney ADRing his voice. And it was like so distracting to me that every time one of those scenes came on and, and mind you that whole relationship and how, that all plays out is just kind of nonsensical too. And like it, it falls into the, the late twists of the movie and like, just is so outrageous and, and, and kind of like you don't buy into that relationship or anything that happens there. Cause you spend so little time um, in that. And you're so distracted by his fucking voice that you don't pay attention to what's actually happening in those scenes. And um, I would have preferred if they just, you know, used a cgi young clooney because at least we know what er george clooney looks like and like that's what i think was the most distracting or at, at first i go is this supposed to be him younger and then he starts talking and i'm like whoa <laughs> it, yeah it is obviously but i'm like this is weird i don't like it
1: yeah you don't even have to do like necessarily like a straight on impersonation of George Clooney. Just 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 let the actor be the actor. But I I would also be curious to know if that was something that was decided like during the making of or Or in in post-production, because it's, it almost seems like maybe they were like tinkering with that idea. Like, and they're
0: like, no one's going to know this is him unless Clooney does the voice. But I mean,
1: they established that he is the younger version. They call him by name. They, the, the flashbacks look, different compared to the rest of the movie. So it's not hard to sort of, you know, grapple with the idea that, okay, these are, you know, flashbacks to give you context of of backstory and exposition to who the character is and it's you know it's it's ham-fisted but i mean it's not hard to 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 figure that out And yeah like what you said we know what george clooney looks like from you know even in his days of being on like you know roseanne and and uh you know uh golden girls and facts of life and things like that and but to be honest i would rather just have ethan peck the actor like this is the thing with even like the irishman i really love the irishman but i think the thing that's holding that movie back from being a great like masterpiece is the de-aging uh effects i think that like I get why they're doing it and why it's supposed to have that impact, but we're just not there in terms of of, of technology. It's not seamless. It has that yeah. kind of glossy. Plastic. When De Niro's
0: still walking like he's sixty-five, or yeah, how old De Niro, seventy, and
1: there's still that um, glossy kind of plastic dead eye look that um, it's just you can't reanimate somebody the, ellipse, the way that they were. Man. Yeah, ellipse.
0: the mouth never looks right. Like when someone's talking, it looks like they're like a ventriloquist doll and like they're just like dead-eyed and like and very smooth looking and I, i'm with you i i preferred the old method of let's cast an actor that kind of looks like him and then just have that actor play the role and hopefully audiences aren't morons and they understand that it's the younger version of that character like we're so um i i, I get it like we go oh there's this new technology where we can make You know, actors look like younger versions of themselves. So in flashbacks, we don't have to hire another actor. We can just have the person come in where I don't know until we get to a point where it's perfect. But I don't know if we have. We probably will someday. But um, the
1: uncanny valley thing is just still we haven't gotten anywhere near to where it it looks seamless. And, And again, it is I understand why. They were maybe thinking of doing it because Clooney is such a recognizable actor and has been for decades. So it's it's like, okay, you can't really you con somebody with like yeah. this guy who doesn't really look like a young George Clooney, but that ultimately doesn't matter when you're playing no, a character a in a character. film. Yeah. And like it's like
0: who who cares? Like there there There's are good performances you lose yourself anyway, yeah, where you are- don't you well, think of George Clooney, you think of this character. Yeah,
1: there are greater suspensions of disbelief, you know, and especially like in a story like this where it's like you don't. You don't have to worry about that kind of stuff, and and again, the post apocalyptic thing. It's like okay, that would be interesting, but it's just so generically done and so broad in terms of like what is actually going on. Like it, it basically is. You know, we were talking about pointed commentary and, and news of the world. I mean, this is obviously playing up uh, global warming, which is something that you know, like is real, and and for people that don't believe it, sorry, you guys are idiots. Um, but. Uh, like, we get it, you know. Like it's 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 preaching to the choir in terms of like, you know, like we the world is unsalvageable at this point, and you know, we're mankind, humankind is the cause of, you know, why we're in a position that we're in now and we're only making things worse and ignoring all the signs. And, you know, I kinda like the fatalism of this movie because it's not about saving the world, it's about saving what's left and seeing like what you can do with what's left. And if you can do something with what's left and it's not necessarily optimistic, but it
0: just doesn't earn. But interstellar does that kind of better. Yeah. But interstellar,
1: I mean, interstellar, there is still, I would say interstellar. There's still more hope with
0: that movie. Weirdly enough,
1: like it is still pragmatic and it's kind of like depiction of like, man, we really, you know, screwed up earth and let's try to find another place to colonize because, you know, mankind doesn't want to, you know, go out like the dinosaurs. But this kind of feels almost like, well, it basically is over. So, you know, either you live underground or if, you know, you're still on a mission somewhere in outer space, yeah. you know, go back to where you were or, you know, figure something out.
0: But it and doesn't I even like touch that. on I, it's so surface level, right? Yeah, yeah. It,
1: literally. It's literally surface level. Um, yeah. and, and I like that stuff. I think that that's kind of interesting in this story, but it just doesn't earn – the the pathos and and the payoff of what that is and and again the twists in this movie are so ridiculous and so infuriating that it's like when you get to that moment it's just it's it feels that it's like it's earned that and it's clever and it's it's kind of pulled the wool over your eyes and it really hasn't
0: no no um uh not a huge fan i forget what i even rated this how low did i go um i'm gonna give it you know, it's nice to look at at times. It's we we really shit on the movie, but I'll give it a 2, which isn't a good review, but it's not like Monster Hunter 1 bad.
1: No, it's just boring, and I will also give it a 2 for for those reasons where it's just like it's prestigious, it's well made, but it's kind of like one of those perfect examples of like a middle of the road movie can be as offensive or egregious as monster hunter like monster hunter is truly bad but like at least monster monster hunter has some distinct personality to it where this almost is just like it's just so bland
0: yeah i agree um thank you all for listening um if you like this we have some other reviews we would love for you guys to check out over on this channel um a lot of christmas releases this doesn't quite come out on christmas comes out a couple days before it's available right now um but you can check out our reviews for disney pixar soul um as well as the aforementioned uh news of the world which you guys can also check out on this channel we also have reviews up for also the aforementioned monster hunter um, <laughs> very similar films, um, and a bunch of other stuff, you know, uh, some Christmas movies like happiest season and the, uh, Christmas Chronicles part two, uh, you know, David Fincher's mank we reviewed, um, as well as, uh, we got a Cobra Kai season one and two spoiler cast season three review will be coming up very, very soon, as well as Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, The 80th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast is also available. You guys can go check it out over on the Untitled Movie Podcast channel, where we talk about Disney Investor Day for two and a half hours. And then over on the Untitled Movie Conversations channel, we have conversations up right now with Kind of Funny's Joey Noel, uh, as well as Nick Scarpino, as well as Awards Radar's Joey Magison. So go check out those conversations. Drop a review on those three channels. If you have a couple extra moments we'd really really appreciate that that's the gift we're asking for this holiday season if you uh, don't mind as well as follow us on all of those social medias at untitled underscore cast um as always my name is matt roerbeck you can find more of my work around the internet but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and you can follow me on all of those social medias at matt roerbeck
1: and i'm eric marchin you can uh Find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash scene, and you can also uh, follow me on the social medias at em6211. I also just completely forgot to mention that there's a scene that's very Spielbergian where uh, Clooney and the little girl play
0: with peas, and it's just like – I was going to bring that up in our uh – talk about the score because i think that's like one of the worst moments of the score yeah where like and you said spielbergian and it's really playing that up in Desplot's score and it's just there's a bunch of egregious things in this movie yeah (laughs) and it's just like oh god um anyways guys uh thank you have a happy holidays um we got some more content coming out before the end of the year so keep uh your eyes peeled uh for that um but uh whatever you celebrate Please do it safely. um, And uh, thank you all for listening. Until next time. Midnight sky, won't you come? Won't you come? (laughs) Uh -uh, Not your best, but I'll give it to you. (laughs) I have nothing on this. (laughs)